I'm Alice, and today I have Dan with me. And Hello! I will, and I will be explaining extraterrestrial life and its possibilities, particularly within a few areas of our solar system. So this one will be split into two parts. In this first part, we'll really just be talking about what extraterrestrial life might look like and some of the theories about how it might have spread from planet to planet. Hmm, very exciting. So, actually, the likelihood of life outside of Earth is much higher than one might think, but there are a lot of misconceptions about what it might look like. For the common person, what do scientists, like, classify as life, and how would alien life compare to our own? Yeah, so firstly, uh, let's tackle the what is life, and the consensus among scientists is generally it can respond to changes in its environment. Scientifically, this is often known as responding to stimuli. It also obtains and uses some form of energy. So for example, plants might use the sun. We actually use other plants and animals that we eat and so on and so forth. Another thing is that it maintains a stable internal environment. So if you call back to the trauma of your biology class, you may have heard this being called homeostasis. Disgusting, never talk to <laughs> me about biology again. Fourthly, it does grow and develop over time. So this looks a little bit different for bacteria since it's so small and can sometimes be literally just one cell. But this generally does mean that whatever form of life this is can function on its own and has at least some short period of maturity. Another thing is that it will change or evolve over a long period <laughs> of time. Another thing that's very important is that it has different levels of what scientists call organization. So these are things like having a cell wall or genetic material like DNA, places for it to, say, process that energy that it's getting, and so on and so forth. The seventh and probably most important thing about life is that it is composed of at least one cell. Uh, for humans, that is way more than just one, but well, for some bacteria, it is just a single-celled organism minding its own business without a brain, which I sort of envy. Yeah, <laughs> I wish that was me. Uh, and last but not least is that it needs to have the possibility of reproducing. And so a somewhat implied rule of this is that it will have some form of genetic code, such as DNA or in bacteria in particular, RNA which is what it uses to replicate with. So as long as it can do that and fulfill all of these requirements, scientists generally say, this is life. Ah, uh, fair enough. These are pretty general, though, so obviously it's kind of like... Our understanding is always growing and changing, and especially if we do, and once we do, discover extraterrestrial life, our conceptions and our rules for what that looked like will likely change very drastically. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you mentioned was what will it look like, and this is actually a huge debate in astronomy, biology, and the combination of those two fields called astrobiology at the moment. Mm, very exciting. And astrobiologists tend to study everything from how life formed on Earth as well as potentially extraterrestrial life and a bunch of things in between. And so going on to what life might look like, Stanford actually just came out with a study that shows that there's a certain chemical that no one even really thought to search for interacting outside of the cell. And just to go a little bit into that without getting into the scientific specifics, it was basically something that we only saw as a chemical interacting on the inside of the cell, and we found it as pretty much a gateway to let things in and out right on the outside and working with RNA to do so, which was hmm. entirely novel and took a PhD student saying, hey, I wonder what this does. I, well, I wonder if this is a good approach. That's just the basis of science. <laughs> It really is. So many people should have died in the 1800s from that, but that is a talk for another day. Yeah, well, <laughs> they didn't really have safety protocols. Or they also threw common sense out the window a lot too, but 
is that really all that different from nowadays? Ah, well. <laughs> as for what life looks like, it's not just as clear-cut as saying this thing needs oxygen or carbon dioxide, because, you know, as we know, loads of plants do need carbon dioxide to, say, kickstart their processes and make oxygen as a byproduct. But little animals, uh, such as the one known as tardigrades, don't need either of those to really survive. Shout out to water bears! <laughs> Woo! We will be going into those in actually just a little bit and also in part two of this. So if you don't know what those are, don't worry, an explanation is coming. There's also the long-standing debate about whether we should consider viruses as life or not, because if we do consider viruses as life, we'll have to change some of the conditions I talked about at the beginning as to what life is, such as, you know, needing to multiply using only your own species, as viruses are known as a parasite and can only really replicate when they get into your cells and using your cells' DNA and that process. But the point is, what we consider life on Earth even varies a lot, and many scientists actually postulate that if we do find life on another planet, there is a chance that we might not even initially recognize it as life as we know it. So, you know, not like what we would see in, you know, the movie. Yeah, probably things like The Thing or Alien aren't Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, those are much less likely to be out there, especially immediately close to us. It's more small bacteria. As for what life will likely have, it will likely have some sort of genetic material, maybe not necessarily DNA or RNA, but at least something very similar, and it will replicate. And most scientists do theorize that a bacteria-like organism would be the most likely thing to find, because a single cell takes a lot less maintenance than, say, a human. And you also need a lot fewer evolutionary twists and turns to make a single-celled organism that needs very little to survive. But the main gist, however, is that life will likely look a lot smaller and a lot more like bacteria than, say, Martians or creatures from horror movies that we're used to. And it's much easier to survive and thrive as a small cell in harsh environments that are like what we see on other planets in our solar system, ones without that whole ozone layer and protective atmosphere and the nice warm core that we have here. Oof. And to find an environment conducive to more complex beings that would even remotely, say, resemble humans, let alone, say, even something like a dog or a small mouse, even plants to some extent, yeah. due to the difficulties with photosynthesis and being within the right place. So we'd very likely have to look very far outside of our own solar system, and with the millions of planets out there, it's far from possible with our current technological capabilities to find such signs of life, as it takes so long. And that actually leads me into the second point of how does life spread? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of scientists in astrobiology in particular are very set on the idea of panspermia. And this is something that's been coming up a lot more recently, especially within the past decade or so. Panspermia is basically a theory that asteroids or other kind of cosmic debris, if you will, things like comets, asteroids, small pieces of rock, etc., can carry these different microorganisms, uh, microorganisms being small things like bacteria, from planet to planet or to a moon. That seems pretty crazy at first glance. Yeah. Like, for example, an asteroid or a bit of debris hits the Earth, and so a bit of that Earth's crust kind of flies off into space, or there is something that's attached to some of the rocket ships that we end up sending out. And it manages to make its way to, say, Mars, and all of a sudden, life on Mars. Hmm. It seems pretty crazy, but... What we do have going for us are some NASA experiments with bacteria that have shown that some bacteria can actually survive for years unprotected in space. I'll actually be talking more about that bacteria in part two of this. Tardigrades, actually, coming back, have the ability to survive entirely exposed in space for about 10 days, actually. 
So why can they actually survive in space? So tardigrades are basically, as a very general description, a microscopic animal. They can survive in just about any conditions, and they survive in space in particular by what's known as dehydrating themselves, which basically means that they go into some sort of hibernation. So similar to how we like to call them water bears, similar to the rest of bears, they go into a sort of hibernation state where they don't really reproduce and only carry out the bare minimum functions that are necessary for them to still be alive. What's more impressive is that they didn't immediately die when they're just here outside in space like a human. Who would eat during COVID? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they were able to survive for a long period of time, unlike, say, shoving a human into space. Eh, well. Another thing is that tardigrades have particular proteins that basically protect their DNA from X-ray radiation. X-ray radiation is pretty much second most dangerous in high energy radiation wave that you get out, especially in space. So that's more dangerous than, say, UV radiation here on Earth, which we have to put on a lot of sunscreen for. You have to put on a lot of sunscreen for. <laughs> but yes, I would not survive even a day in space, even if I could somehow manage to breathe and function in such absolutely cold and vacuous conditions. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> weak. Obviously, though, <laughs> this sort of thing with tardigrades surviving for 10 days really only works, and particularly panspermia, it really works only in context of solar systems and neighboring systems. You're not going to have a form of life making one long jump from, say, the Milky Way galaxy to the Andromeda galaxy or to another universe. That's Aww, man. very, 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 very improbable. I cannot technically say impossible as we aren't all-knowing um, omniscient beings to what goes on inside the universe, but as far as human science goes so far, it is basically impossible. However, theoretically over billions of years, which thinking about the age of the universe really isn't all that long, these could make their way through the galaxy and life can spread from planet to planet, from place to place, and from moon to moon. Yeah, so for reference with this, like, is it possible that we're accidentally spreading alien life like ourselves just by sending out, like, all sorts of probes and all that stuff? Fun fact, yes. So many people who do believe in this panspermia theory also believe that we may have already unintentionally carried bacteria to other planets and satellites this way, and satellites being uh, small moons that will often be orbiting the planets. In 2019, actually, a paper was released revealing that a mission to space and to a space station had unintentionally carried and awakened the herpes virus, which oh, infected weak. half of the crew. So, everything from the moon landings back in the late 1900s to even the Mars rovers and especially the Voyager missions could have accidentally been sending some bacteria and forms of life into space in contaminating places that we have visited. Oops. It is unlikely in most cases that it would be as bad as, say, the herpes virus, where it's able to awaken and spread throughout the environment. However, it is still very possible. Well. <laughs> and on that absolutely depressing note, we will be cutting off this episode here. And in the next episode, we'll be covering what are known as extremophiles, as well as the possibility of life on one of Jupiter's moons, Europa, as well as some upcoming missions that have to do with finding extraterrestrial life. Yeehaw! So, we will be seeing you next week.